Hello and welcome to the Tennis Menu's Daily Rolling Garros Show. Val Febari here with you. And remember, crunching the numbers is the latest starter trends run by our great friend Shane Leonage, who is going to join us on the show today. Only $39.90 on the tennismenu.com. That's US dollars, of course. But a big show lined up for you today. The quarterfinals, well, they are done and dusted. We're down to our last four in the men's and the women's. And it was Novak Djokovic overcoming Pablo Carreño Busta this time out, although he did take a medical timeout during this match. And we'll find out why um, during the show today with Mark Sopoulos giving his expert analysis. Stefano Tsitsipas looking very, very good as well, overcoming his loss to Andre Rublev uh, in Hamburg last week. We'll find out how he did that and also the latest starter trends from the ladies' side of the draw. What Sophia Kennan's been able to do and also Petra Kvitova moving through to the final four. But before we do any of that, let's introduce the other three men that are going to make today's show what it is. And Mark Sopoulos is the first, the best high-performance coach in the business, Mark. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Val. Love the intros as always. And uh, yeah, what an incredible night of tennis. Um, a couple of really big kind of injuries that were playing part in, in both the men's and the women's side of the draw. We'll go through that a little bit as we, we go along. But um, I'm not going to take too much time today because the great man has joined us once again. So I'm just going to let you continue the introductions and, uh, and go from there. The man who has just taken the tennis scene by storm. So let's keep it going. And we're still going to whet the appetite for that introduction because we still have to introduce Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you? Our multilingual legend. Yeah, I'm going all right, boys. No languages today. I'm, I'm sorry, but yeah, I'm going all right. I can't wait to crack into the tennis. It's going to be very good. And well, the man that's going to make up this foursome, hashtag legendary Leonage, Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports. Uh, how are you, mate? Great to have you back on the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to be back. Um, I'm uh, always nervous with the, the three of you here. You've got beaming... <laughs> Beaming grins, it's uh, it's nervous time for me. Oh, even more beaming. Um, no, but it is great to have you on the show, mate. And um, yeah, unfortunately, on Jabor falling uh, to Danielle Collins the other night, but uh, you you worked absolute wonders this tournament, and we we know you deny that a lot of it is it isn't you, but um, it is. We know we know it is. So, but we'll move on to the men's draw. We'll start this off fairly quickly because um, Pablo Carreño Busta again played Novak Djokovic last night. Um, after what happened at the U.S. Open with the Lions woman default, Karina uh, Busta won the first set and was on the verge of doing so at the U.S. Open. If we do remember that encounter, um, he got the first set this time again. And um, Djokovic took a medical timeout when he was behind in this match and um, all of a sudden came out and, uh, and won the next three. So he got through 4-6-6-2-6-3-6-4. Um, I do have some thoughts on that. But uh, Mark, you noticed something about Novak Djokovic last night that um, in his warm-up, he was actually looking fairly uncomfortable. Yeah, it was actually interesting to watch um, as you get up at you know two, three in the morning every morning, just what I do these days. But I was able to get up and see what was happening. And pre-match, he was actually doing his warm-up and was really, really struggling. He's he was getting a lot of apparently a lot of uh, heaviness through his, his right arm, and it was coming from his neck. So he had a bit of treatment. His trainer was on court. Um, he was getting treatment on the court in the warm-up um, pre-match, and and yeah, really struggled to even lift his lift his arm and in the first set uh he had he i think it was a 40 percent first serves in at that stage for the whole first set could not buy a first serve couldn't look up his neck couldn't couldn't uh go up at all so he was really struggling to to stay up with the serve and was pulling down a lot of the time and really struggled in that first set had a bit of treatment and came back out and obviously um started to serve a little bit better i ended up serving at 56 percent for the match but I think as time went on, it started to loosen up a little bit, started to warm up. But yeah, it was an incredible match to watch. Uh, Carino Busta was 
in some really good form early, um, hitting the ball really clean, really well. And even the, the last three sets really challenged Novak at times. And even the second set, it was three love Novak. It went to three all. Um, and then it went six three Novak. It was really incredible how the, the ebbs and flows of that match went. But um, uh, it's, I, I know we touch on it all the time, and I know Val, you know, Novak's greatest fan, but that guy has got a, he's got a second gear, that uh, another gear that just, when he needs something, he just rises above. And it's the one thing that him, Nadal, Federer, have probably possessed in their game for the last 15 years, that they've just got another level to go to. And and I, I just felt that, you know, this morning watching that match, that every time Karina Busta looked like he was back in it, Novak just stepped it up just a tad and, and just kept him out of that match. So he was getting frustrated, Novak, and he was yelling at the box and he was going bananas, but he's just got this level of tennis that he's just hard to play against. And, uh, you know, it was a good win in the end. Yeah, it definitely was. And um, looking at uh, Pablo Carreño Busta, what he said after the match um, on, on his, Djokovic's medical timeout, it didn't surprise me that he asked for the uh, MTO. It's a good thing. It's a sign that he's losing and that I was playing well because he always does that. It's something he's been doing for years. When he's down, he asks for the trainer. And I found that really interesting. And look, that point is, if you want to be considered the greatest of all time, you and you don't take medical timeouts constantly. Yes, he may have been injured, but when you're a repeat offender and you do it time after time after time and come out and then win the next three sets, it doesn't make any sense, Novak. But he did say he did come out and say how he felt and just reiterated that he was injured. But you do talk, Mark, about the... Um, about the and how defensively good uh, Djokovic is, Nadal is, and how dominant he, Federer, and um, uh, Djokovic have been. Um, but yeah, Mark, you are right. From when Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer have played over the last 10 years, you sent me this homework yesterday. I have done it. Uh, in the last 10 years, Federer has lost at nine slams uh, in straight sets, Djokovic four, but two retirements and a default and Nadal five with three retirements and a walkover. So it just shows how hard they are to beat in straight sets. And Federer, obviously, and, and I want you to allude to this point, and also we'll get Shane in on that as well, as to why it's Federer more so than the other two that lose in straight sets. Is it because he's more attacking and more offensive? Yeah, absolutely. Look, Federer's got some great defensive skills, absolutely. But his first and foremost game style is to be an aggressive kind of player. He's an all-court player. He wants to come forward. He wants to take time and space. He wants to take the net. So um, he's got the more offensive style compared to the other two. And that's generally why he'll get those those results. Now, to beat uh, Nadal and Djokovic, you've got to play five sets. I mean, you've got to play four or five sets. You're not going to lose in straight. They're going to be long rallies. And I know, and Shane will touch on this in a minute, but I know the rallies in this tournament have been a lot longer. Hence the reason you see the guys like Djokovic and Nadal really, really hard to break down. And even Dominic Team for that matter. I think, you know, it's incredible what they can do over a long period of time. And the clay courts have definitely suited uh, suited them this year, Shane, I think, in, in terms of the stats. Yeah, absolutely. And just, just on your point, I think that there's a, a higher risk element to, to, to Roger's game and he's able to do it so consistently and make it look simple, but um, sometimes it goes wrong. So some of those straight sets defeats, um, he, he's probably just not been uh, 100%. And, uh, and uh, I dare say some of them would be on a clay court as well. I know he faced Nadal um, in Roland Garros last year in, in perhaps the, the windiest conditions we've ever seen on a tennis court. So um, I wouldn't look too, too much into that. And, and, and it is a testament to him that he is able to finish matches as well. I, I think um, he could have quite easily pulled out in the semi-final of the Australian Open. He wasn't right after the Sangrid match. He went 
he actually changed his game style quite significantly and and actually for, for, for the first set really pushed Novak um by being that was that robbery that was utter robbery that first set i'm still <laughs> upset about it um but yeah the, the stats this uh, have been interesting so uh, i had a look at the average duration per point um and on average it's a second more than last year and for looking at i was looking at nadal djokovic and team i had a vision of three of them being in the semi-final turned out um unfortunately teams knocked out but they've been progressively each match has gone higher and higher in terms of the average duration per point um and teams actually been averaging a second and a half more per point than the other two so um that adds up when, when you play play um play over seven rounds so um it's it's one of the reasons why um novak and nadal are in the semi-finals and team is not um and i and i think um mark you'll probably be able to to, to allude to like the actual intensity um during the point is quite significant in tennis comparable to other sports it is and, and it's actually interesting and you, you bring up a great point there because if we look at intensity levels you would say that the federer um, Federer and Djokovic probably waste or expend less energy on per shot than what Nadal and Dominic Team would. And it's really interesting to watch it too. So when we talk about over a period of time, we talk about the length of the rallies, we talk about the length of the matches. Um, but if you look at um, energy expended on every single shot, Nadal would, have, would be miles above the rest of him in terms of what he puts on every single ball. He's, he's absolutely 150% of his his effort and his intensity. So, you know, there's, there's that. And then you've got emotional energy that gets burnt as well. So, you know, when you're playing on emotion like Nadal does, um, it's a lot more expenditure than it would be for Federer. Federer is very calm and controlled. So you've got emotional energy, you've got intensity on the ball, you've got longer rallies that play a lot, a lot of, a big part, I guess, in, in this sort of stuff as well. So, um, yeah, 100% correct. I've seen the rallies go a lot longer. The balls are a lot more dead as we've touched on, Shane. Um, the courts are a lot slower. The balls are bouncing a little bit more in the strike zone and it's harder to hit winners. Um, and that's where the ball has become, or the points have become a lot longer this year. So yeah, absolutely great, great pickup. And, and I think it's a really important factor for, for anyone out there listening to this show to understand that, you know, every single time you go to a tennis court around the world, it's going to be different. The conditions will be different, the environment, the balls, um, the opponents. So you've got to continually adapt. So as a coach, my main thing is to ensure that I'm always, creating adaptive players to be able to handle these situations whenever they come come to fruition. Yep, and it's it's a great point you make, and uh, I think this that's what's made this tournament so interesting, how how different it has been to usual Roland Garros tournaments. And um, Joel, we'll move on. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas over Andre Rublev last night, 7-5, um, It's not the match we expected. I think after watching in Hamburg last week when Rublev really came back and, and took the match away from Tsitsipas, we expected it to be a pretty close one, but after a taxing fourth-round match against Martin Fushevix, it seems as though Stefano Tsitsipas win over Grigor Dimitrov gave him the utmost of confidence because he steamrolled the Russian. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when we when we talk about fatigue and, and all that kind of thing um, with, with Dominic Team, with Andre Rublev and with, with Steph, he seems to be the one that's maybe dealt with it the, the best. Um, I was impressed by how Steph used the, used the net uh, against Andre Rublev. Um, he approached uh, 17 times and won 16 points out of the 17. So that, that's pretty good. He was... He was pretty sharp in that area. So I think, um, yeah, it's interesting and it probably ties back to uh, the length of, of points. I think uh, I think Steph's best chance of 
taking out Novak is probably to approach if you can and try and, and shorten those points. Shane, is that something that you, a sentiment that you echo? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the other things I looked at was passing so shot success this year. And on the men's side, it's down by about 14%. So players are actually able to cover it, whether it's an unforced error when someone's attempting the passing shot or the player at the net's actually able to get that second volley um, and win the point. It's a lot higher this year than last year. So, um, yeah, Stefanos's game, he, he's, he's an all-court player, so he does like to come forward. So I think the clay, the balls, everything suits him this year. Um, and yeah, no, no vaccine for a bit of a fight, I think. Yep. Well, it'd be very interesting to see. And, and like you talk about the, the points and, and how, or how it's harder, been harder to hit a passing shot, Mark, is that kind of what we realized at the U S open final when Alexander Zverev took Dominic teams backhand away from him completely? Yeah, it's, it's definitely an underutilized area of the court. I mean, you know, the, the data says, and I know we've got the data guru here with us today, but. The data says that you're going to win more points if you're at the net and the opponent's at the baseline. I mean, it's it's a it's a fact. It's a, it's a, not an opinion. So what needs to happen is that you know you we've got to create these players and get these players coming forward. Why? Because you take away time, you take away space. Now you know the, the court doesn't get bigger if you come to the net. It just stays the same size. So there's there's less space for the opponent to be able to hit into. Um, if if you get them on defense and you sit back. They've got the whole court space to defend into. It's important to be able to take that away from him. Tsitsipas is doing that really well at the moment. To beat Djokovic, and look, Djokovic has got the most incredible passing shots and the most incredible lobs. So I'm not going to discount the fact that that's going to hurt him too much, but it will hurt him. And, you know, you've got to mix up against Djokovic. You can't play the same game. You can't allow him to, to stay on the baseline, play a lateral kind of game. He won't miss a ball for the match. Okay, that's the way he plays. He's going to wear you down. He's going to grind you down. Tsitsipas will not go with him if he stays in those rallies too long. He's going to have to take initiative early on. He's going to have to step up the court. He's going to have to be more aggressive. And like Shane said, he's going to have to take the net and be really controlled, as Joel said, also in the match like today. He has to come forward and really dominate from the front of the court. Yep, kind of like what Federer has started to try and work out to do against both Nadal and Djokovic and really just attack them play that offensive game. If it comes off, it comes off. If it doesn't, move on, go to the next point. If you hit an error, you hit an error. So, yeah, hopefully we can see a really interesting match because Stepanot Tsitsipas, this is the second Grand Slam semi-final for him. So I'm sure he would want to at least get a set this time because the last time Rafa absolutely destroyed him at the 2019 Australian Open. But moving on to the women's draw and Danielle Collins. Well, she got through uh, one of uh, well, one of our favourites on the show because of Shane on Jabir. Um, she got through her in the fourth round and um, took a set off uh, Sabir Kennan, but um, I think, Mark, you said she did an ab last night um, and that would be an extremely painful injury. So Kennan getting through to her second major semifinal of the year, 6-4-4-6-6-love and uh, Petra Kvitovic getting through 6-3, 6-3 over Laura Siegerman. But we'll start with the Kennan and Collins match. And um, uh, look, I, I was quite surprised. I actually thought Collins would win this match um, and in straight too. Just the way that she played and her touch against Angebeur was phenomenal and you would have gotten a first-hand look at that, Shane. Tell us about um, what, what you like from Danielle Collins and um, aside from the injury, what Kenan was able to do to negate her. Yeah, I mean, she, she's very streaky. When she gets on a hot streak, she wins a lot of points in a row. And I think uh, going back to the match with Ons, there was, there was a period from, I think, four all in the first set to, to three love in the second where I think there was 17 points and she won 15 of them. Um, and, and I'd say you know, there was a couple of errors from Ons, but it was Daniel Collins just controlling the point. Um, 
completely. So, um, and, and you saw it against Muguruza, you saw it against Kennan. Um, she can win a lot of games in a row very quickly. So that, that's an asset. Um, it's probably the, the coin flip is she can lose a lot of games in a row quickly as well. And it's, it's to do with her high risk sort of, sort of style. Um, again, I, I don't know how she would have gone had the ab injury not, not been there, but um, yeah, at, at a set all, she, she was, she was very much in that, in that match. So um yeah, I think she's got a, a great, great opportunity. She's made a, I think she made a semi-final a couple of years ago at a slam. Um, can't, can't recall. Yeah, I was open to 19. Yeah, um, so it's not like she she hasn't been there before. And and I think um, just another player coming out of the college system that's doing really well. Yeah, definitely right. And look, you, you mentioned off air before we came on, you had some stats on drop shots and or playing extra drop shots on the women's side of the draw. So talk us through that. Yeah, well, I mean, at this event, we've we've all sort of seen the amount of drop shots being played. So, uh, one of the really effective strategies is to hit a counter drop shot. So, a drop shot off a drop shot, and um, yeah, this, Sophia Kennan um, is doing that exceptionally well. I think she's having eighty four percent of success when she's got a counter drop shot in play. So, um, the, the other um, the other two in the top three, Ego Spertek, she's getting 80% of success and Ons was getting 78% of hitting a drop shot off the drop shot. And just with the ball dying and um, particularly when there's a little bit of drizzle on the court as well, it, it's such an effective um, play to go back with a drop shot, particularly a lot of play, these players are playing the drop shot just on the baseline or slightly in front of it. So if you're able to hit a drop shot, get to the ball and hit another drop shot, um, you can catch them off guard a little bit. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think we've we're Mark and I, Mark Joel and I spoke about this yesterday about why the drop shot was being played in the third stroke, and especially because the clay isn't actually bouncing much this year. So I think that's assisted really well. But um, looking at Kennan and the matchup between Kennan and Kvitova, this is only I think the I, I sent you guys a stat this morning, and Joel, I think it's only the fourth time that a seed will actually take on another seed at this Roland Garros tournament, and it is Halep v. Anisimova, Svitolina against Alexandrova, Sabalenka v. Jabur. And this will be the fourth time, and it's taken till the semifinals to get that, Joel. So uh, this, and it probably is going to be the most exciting match of the tournament, considering how hard these two hit the ball. Yeah, well, it's just been that kind of tournament. Um, and you know what, Val, even though, um, you know, we've got we've got this stat, we've finally got, um, I guess, this 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 clash between uh, Kvitova and, and Kennan. I'm actually still more excited about the matchup between Iga Sviontek and, and Nadia Podoroska, funnily enough. I think um, I think the real the real romance is in that match. So that's the one that I'm looking forward to. But um, yeah, I mean, it's what more can you say? It's just been a, a, a crazy, crazy tournament. And you know what? It's, it's actually, it's good for tennis. I mean, it's probably not happened in the circumstances that we would have liked, but it's good for the sport. So I'll take it. It definitely is. And you had a really interesting stat on Iga Sviontek this morning. Yeah, so I admittedly, I actually didn't realize she was playing in the in the doubles draw before today. But um, obviously, she's a semi-finalist in the singles and hasn't dropped a set so far en route to the semi-finals. Um, and she's going to hit a career high ranking of 33. But um, she also has not dropped a set um, in the doubles draw. And that's on the way to the semis as well. So she realistically could have two titles potentially from Roland Garros. I mean, how was that? Genuinely unbelievable. And Mark, you're looking at this matchup between Kennan and Kvitova. It's it makes you salivate just to think about how how hard they're going to hit the ball. But who do you think actually wins it? Look, I mean, I think all round, I think Kvitova is the better player. Um, if yeah. we just strip it back and just go from 
pure pure talent and ability. Um, and I think that her ball speed should be able to keep Kennan back away from the offense. Now, if Kennan is not in offense, it's really hard for her. Um, she's, she's got a few holes in the, in the technical side of the game that can be broken down quite easily. Um, if she's in defense a lot of the time, and it did happen a few matches ago she, where she was caught on defense and really struggled. Um, and I feel like Kvitova is the kind of player that will push her with ball depth, with ball speed, um, and the ability with the left hand to be able to work the angles a little bit better. So um, I feel Kvitova is the better player going into it, but it, they're very hard to split in these conditions. Um, you know, is is the conditions going to be heavy, too heavy to be able to hit Cannon off the court, you know, for Kvitova? You know, is Cannon going to be able to stay up the court and be able to be able to take time and space away to not allow Kvitova to be able to load up because she has got right, uh, quite large swings. So if you, if you don't give her time, you know, it may not play into her favour. So, you know, it's going to be a really tough battle. I'm actually really looking forward to this match. It's going to be a, a cracking match. Um, you know, I hope Kvitova, I think it's a, the kind of the romance story that I'm really looking forward to. I think, you know, her comeback from what we spoke about the other day from the stabbing that she did she did have. I think it's a it's an incredible comeback, and it's going to be a great match. And but I, and I do I do agree with Joel though. I think the um the other side of the draw really shows us that you know tennis is such an open sport, and anyone anyone on any given day in any given tournament can make their mark and take their opportunity. And this is great for both players. I think it's a it's a really refreshing look to tennis. I think for for you know from a long time, I think these two players are going to show us. What's capable and Podoroska being a qualifier, absolutely outstanding. What a, what a great effort. Oh, amazing stories. And we'll get all three of your picks uh, for tonight's matches in a sec. But I do want to touch on the the sort of the negative, um, the negative on Roland Garros today because there has been a match-fixing scandal and that was involved in the um, Andrea Mitsu and Pat- Patricia Maria Tiggs win, a uh, 7-6-6-4 win over Madison Brengel and Yana Sizakova. So that, uh, during one of these matches, there was a game that... Um, allegedly had a bet on it, which involved two double faults um, when uh, Sizakova was serving. Um, and I think there, there were a lot of coincidences there with a lot of money being made on this certain game. And, you know, when those, when those are genuinely all for the same game, it's not a coincidence. It's blatant match fixing. And it, it's, um, it's under investigation at the moment. And there could be heavy fines for the players involved. If, um, if Brengel was involved as well, um, we don't know, but yeah, it's, um, it's pretty it's pretty full on and um yeah look mark and shane obviously know being around tennis a lot more you you might know a lot more about this than what joel and i do but how is match fixing as rife as what they say it is because it seems as though it's it's quite concerning yeah i and i'll mention a little story which i'm (laughs) i'm not going to mention the players but we did get approached um about probably eight or nine years ago um to fix a match it was incredible like um, and reported at the time, um, the player reported it that, that I had. But um, yeah, it, it happens a lot, and it's and it's a lot of um, people you don't want to get mixed up with, um, and it's it's quite quite scary and uh, quite challenging um, to to go through something like that. But a lot of these players, and we, we look at a lot of these players that have done it in the past, have been desperate, um, desperate for money. They've been desperate for a lot of a lot of different things to survive in life, and. You know, obviously, it's not the right way to go about it. Um, and I know it's, it's challenging for a lot of people in, in situations and with their backs against the wall, but it, it happens a lot. And it has happened a lot in the past. I know in the last few years, it's definitely been stamped out a lot. And I'm so glad that it has. Um, and it's kept the, the sport really clean. But 
there's no doubt that it does happen. There's no doubt that, you know, it does get taken further than what it should for in a lot of instances and players do, do get, um, I guess, a lot of backlash from different, different organizations. Um, and yeah, and look, it, it is tough, but you know, I, I hope, I hope this is a really good step in stopping things before they become too big. Um, and there, there was apparently a few re, um, red flags in that there was a few countries that these, these bets were placed in on that one particular game and that all alerted authorities, authorities, which is really good. And it's a great system now that they've got in place to stop this happening. And I'm just so glad I'm not at that top level at the game because, um, you know, it, it does happen a lot. And, you know, it is, especially for players that are probably struggling for the cash, that's where it is. And, and you never see the top players being targeted um, for, for match fixing. It's always the, the lower ranked players because betting agencies and, and people, the gamblers want to go to those people to say, hey, I know you need some money. Here you go. Um, and that's where it happens a lot. Yeah, it's, look, I haven't had a, the experience. I haven't been around uh, in tennis as, as long as Mark, but uh, it's yeah, they, they're going to they're going to prey on the vulnerability of people. Um, and and Mark hit the nail on the head. It's it's the lower ranked players that, that or the juniors coming up that they're going to target um, because there's a an opportunity that they're going to take that sort of cash windfall um, at that stage. Um, but it's tennis is not not dissimilar to, to other sports. That this sort of Betting um, is rife. Um, cricket, um, basketball, it's, it's soccer, um, and so usually the lower tiers. But um, yeah, tennis is not immune to this. Yeah, it's it, and it is disappointing. And I remember one of the high-profile ones in Australia, anyway, was um, Nick Lindahl. I mean, he was one of them, and also Oliver Anderson, um, the 2017 Junior Australian Open champion, was um, was involved in it as well. So it, it is very disappointing. But hopefully, um, hopefully, we can stamp it out of the game because it, it, it does. It does need to happen, and um, yeah, hopefully, uh, if it is match fixing, life bans. Unfortunately, that's that's what it's got to be because we don't need that corruption um, in the sport that we love. But look, tonight we do have the two women's semi-finals: Iga Swiatek against Nadia Podoroska. The battle of the wonderful narratives. First up on court, Philippe Chatrier, and then uh, Sophie Kennan against Petra Kvitova. Following that, so well, let's start with the picks. Uh, Joel, yours, and I think I know who uh, your top side of the draw is, but uh, I don't know who your bottom is. Yeah, so uh, my final, women's final, is Shviontek versus Kvitova. I think Kvitova will get the job done against Ken. Shane? Um, look, I think Shviontek's going to be, be in the final. She's, um, and I know, Joel, I've been watching the show. You you, you, you went early with her, and uh, no, <laughs> right. Um I actually think Kennan's going to get over the line with uh, Kvitova. She, I've, uh, she doesn't really fear uh, anyone hitting through her. Um, it's it's the the ones that can move her a lot, and I, and I'm not sure. I mean, last year I watched her beat uh, I think Williams, and um, and she pushed Barty as well at Roland Garros. So I, I have a feeling she'll get over the line against Kvitova. Yep, and Mark. Oh, if the, if the stats man's telling me that, I'm now going to change my mind. Uh, I think I think um, I think and Shviontek. Uh, I think they'll be the two um, that get through. But yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Kenan if Ken did get through it as well, only because Shane said. Yep. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, Kvitova and Shviontek as well. I want to go Podoroska. 
for the story and to be the second Argentinian woman to make a Grand Slam final behind uh, Gabriella Sabatini, the wonderful Sabatini. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I'll go Kvitova and Podorowska, but it could easily be the... Oh, sorry, and Triontek. And uh, it could easily be the other way around. But that's about all we've got time for today on the Tennis Menu's Daily Rolling Garros Show. And remember, crunching the numbers is the latest tennis starter trends run by our great friend Shane Leonardo. Only 39.90 US on thetennismenu.com. And Shane, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thanks, guys. I want to do a quick shout out to the ASB Classic, uh, Rewa and Mike. Uh, unfortunately, your event's cancelled for next year, but it's a great event and it'll be back stronger in uh, 2022. It is a fantastic event there in Auckland. They do a wonderful job and get some big players over there as well. Joel Frucci, thank you very much as always. It's great to talk tennis with you. Yeah, absolutely, Val. Thanks. And uh, yeah, thanks, Mark and Shane as well. And Mark Zafoulis, the best high-performance coach in the business. It's a pleasure chatting tennis with you as always, and your insight is unparalleled. Uh, it's definitely paralleled by me and many people, but thanks for your kind words, Val. Much appreciated. And yeah, it's going to be a great night of, uh, of tennis. Really looking forward to waking up at 2 a.m. like I do every morning and watching a bit more. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been good. And looking forward to uh, the men's semis. I think it's going to be cracking. So yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, I think so. And tomorrow we're going to be talking about the women's semis, reviewing them and previewing what's going to happen in the two men's semifinals. So stick around and stay tuned for that.